We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Caregiver Dave. Dave, how are you? Hey. Uh, you're telling me Atlanta, Georgia, coming to one of the only events left, I guess, during the pandemic. And uh, yeah. you're heading to Atlanta. Everyone else is afraid. I'm, 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 you know, fools rush in where angels dare to tread. I'll be speaking on the stage with Dr. Oz, Dr. Drew. If they're not worried, I'm not worried. Hey, you know, you gotta, you gotta ask Dr. Oz and specifically tell him what is his prediction when this pandemic will end. I'm tired of the bad pessimistic thing. I mean, I want, I, I, I like, I want pessimism. I want this. I want, I mean, I want optimism, not there pessimism. I'm so ready for this to be over. I, mean, I will ask him that for you. Yes. Yeah. You will ask him for that. Okay. Introduce our guests. Cause again, we have two amazing talents on the what line. What an exciting <laughs> show. Neil, you did it again. Two superstars, uh, at least one superstar and one to be superstar. Laura Pieri, newest Brazilian sensation. She has a hit on Spotify. All I need mentored by the one and only Corey Runer. Rooney, excuse me, who discovered <laughs> J-Lo and Michael Jackson and many others. And he kind of looks like me because he's got that hair on his face. So welcome yeah. to the show, guys. Thank you, man. Thank you for having us. And a yeah. Grammy yeah, Award up. winner, right, Corey? Look at this all those accolades behind you. Yeah. What are those, so, platinum? So I've been honored in the last two weeks, Dave, to interview three Grammy winners. One wow. uh, we did last week and then also – I had Neo on my show yesterday, so I kind of got the uh, opportunity wow. in all those areas. So let's go, Dave. You go with the question. Maybe maybe, maybe it'll off. rub off on you. you yeah, know, you'll get a no, Grammy I, one day. No, yeah. I want an award and something else. I guess <laughs> I don't know what 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 award I can get. I'll create my own one. But go ahead, Laura. Welcome to the show. You look amazing. Thank uh, you. Thank you so if, much. If your mentor discovered J Lo, I mean, I you know you could be the next J Lo. Uh, 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 it's kind of the only reaction I can have. It's, it's such uh, an honor to get such a comparison. From my lips to God's ears. Okay. Amen. So how old are you? You look so young. I'm 23. I just turned 23. 23. She is young. So, <laughs> so what do you know about the, uh, you come from Brazil. You, you were pretty famous over there, right? I mean, I don't, uh, the term famous, I don't know what that means. I mean, I did have my start there. I was, did it like a, a telenovela version kind of it's like a telenovela for kids hey, uh, sounds famous to me 15. and then I just I, I decided that I, I had bigger dreams than Brazil and I didn't want to sing in Portuguese and my passion was music so I kind of so how did you how did you and Corey meet uh, and take you under his wing and he must have seen something in you Oh, well, I mean, he can answer that one, but it was really like a friend <laughs> of a friend introduced us and we got in the studio and awesome. it was supposed to be like one day and that turned into two, that turned into two weeks, that turned into three <laughs> years, that turned now, turned into like now. Wow. Yeah, go ahead, Corey. How, yeah. did, this, how did this internet yeah. how did this happen? How did it happen, Corey? No, you know. Um, your, your side of the story. That, that, <laughs> that friend of a friend was actually Tommy Matola. And uh, what happened was he reached out to me and he said, you know, there's a young girl someone brought to my attention. And, you know, I don't know if you if you got some time in your life, you know, I want you to come meet her and check her out. See, you know, see what you think. Um, when I met her, you know, a lot of people do the J-Lo comparison, right? Mm -hmm. and they only have two things really in common. <laughs> no, they do. Two what are they? Because J-Lo's J-Lo. Jennifer's Jennifer. Sure, absolutely. She is... 
Jennifer, right? There's no cheap imitation. Right. And nobody, Laura wouldn't even want to take that away from her vote. What they have that I immediately saw that they had in common was, other than the fact that they're both uh, Latina, like, right? Yeah. yeah. But so that's one. But the other thing is the, the, the drive and hunger and pure determination. Uh. Like, to, to like, I don't give a shit. I don't even know if we can go. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't care how many times I got to do this, how many hours we have to stay to get it done. You know, what I have to do, I want this, you know? And to me, that's, that's it. I'm signed in. When somebody yeah. wants, that's it. They want it, yeah. And Laura, what was your feeling when They're you hungry. heard Corey really want to work with you? It's got, it got to make you so excited. Such a it still really has been sunken in. I feel like um, at first, it, I mean, it was, it was just, I felt like a sponge just, pre just living that moment and just watching the way he works and everything and just being in the studio and just being in an environment that I had never been in before and just to observe and learn. And now at this point, it's like, he's like my dad practically. It's like he oh. helps me. He's like my American father, my, my, <laughs> my, like my actual, my dad. And then I have my American dad because my family's back in Brazil. So it, it, sometimes it's just, and I spend so much time working. We really do spend a lot of hours just putting in the work. So, how did your music career start in Brazil? I mean, were you singing as a child? Was your mother, a, a, you know, one of those agent mothers who took her to every audition and stuff? Not really. So my, my career back home wasn't so much music. Um, it was really around, because I moved right when it started. I guess I did uh, that participation in the Brazilian TV show in the, in the mm. telenovela Amalia So, And then um, I really quickly realized that that's not what I really wanted to do and that music was my passion and that I wanted to sing in English. And I just had different dreams for myself. So I moved right after. So it was like my work in Brazil started and I moved at 16 to the U.S. and went wow. straight kind of into development with Corey. And we've just been working to kind of like polish and, and just figure a sound that's consistent and that just is unique and, and truthful. And that's kind of the big thing. It has that's to be, cool. it has to feel right and it has to be right. So Corey, yeah. when you say you, you have artists and say it's time to get to work, what's, how, how do you, uh, have that plan how do you create that plan with these artists these famous artists you've worked with and also what your plans are for laura well you know the first thing i always believe in is that you have to build a foundation you can't build your house on sand right there's a lot of artists today that they release singles and singles and singles and things like that but let's first establish who laura pieri is or any artist that i'm working with from now because they may not like all your records you know, but they have to like you first, you know, because if they like you, the person, then that's it. They're hooked in. I mean, like if we think about some of the artists today, you know, there's been a few, you know, like up moments in the, in the career and then some low moments and the highs and lows in, in careers of artists, you know. I mean, not saying anything bad or good about Lady Gaga, but there was a time after her big thing where it kind of like went here for a little while with her music. But the Lady Gaga fans just love her regardless. So I try and work on that first. I try and work on establishing, you know, an artist as a person first and a personality that people like, you know. Awesome. Oh. I think. Very so so what, what do you look for in a star, uh, Corey? 
what are what are some of the things you look for? I mean, I bet you get phone calls every single day and twice on Sunday about, hey, you got to meet so and so. She's the newest thing or whatever. I mean, how do you sift through that? How do you filter? I that? do, and you know, everybody. <laughs> you know, when they say it, you have it. Yes. Yeah. Well, again, it doesn't come from how great your voice is. I, I know a lot of people with amazing voices, but you know, their personality is flat. You know, they have an image about them. Guys or girls, like sometimes I see guys and they just don't understand, like, you know what, like your image, this crazy grungy look, you should actually grow a beard, get groomed, you know, blah, 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 cut your hair lower and do this. Everyone's not willing to make the transformation, but what we try to do is I want to make you more believable. I got, you know, you have to have marketability and I don't actually believe you're a tough guy, actually, because your persona is not as tough as you think it is. And so you really just look like a grungy bum, you know? So you may as well go with being like a humble, nice guy, you know, and appeal to the women and the other people like, hey, man, I just like this guy. So So you're trying to create an American idol kind of like, right? Yeah, you know, no one. This is artist development. It's always been in the past. A lot of record companies, well, no record company does it today. You know, because the amount of money that they lost in artist development over the years is mind-blowing. You know, I've seen, working at Sony Music for so many years, I've seen millions and millions and millions of dollars going into an artist, and that artist comes out, and it's such a failure that they cut their losses, and they're like, you know what, I'd rather spend three or four million, lose three or four million, than to live out this commitment to spend another three or four million moving forward. So, but you know, artist development starts with knowing who to waste your time on and who not to, you know, and then you just, you put the work in and then what you develop and you build that, that solid foundation. Now, here we are 20, 30 years later. Now, Laura, when I start thinking about how he's talked about one of your talents is hard work. Where did you get that work ethic from? By my biological father, my actual dad. Um, he's an example of hard work to me. My mom is an example of, of dedication and passion. And I just, I grew up in a household that always, always said, like, if you want something, you need to fight for it and your dreams won't come true unless you work for them. No one's going to hand it to you. So that's always been my mindset. And, um, I just believe that it all feels so much better once it, you've worked for it. If it comes easy, I don't want it kind of thing. Like I've always had that kind of personality. If it's easy, why do it? Everybody would do it if it was easy. Um, there's a reason that this is a really challenging industry, and there's a reason that it breaks a lot of people because it's it requires a lot out of you, and it, you're, you really have to allow yourself to be vulnerable and honest and strip yourself down to your most bare skeleton and be built up back up and just make something. Because art will touch people's souls. Like Art speaks louder than anything ever could. And for you to be willing to put yourself through a journey where you're going to be exposed emotionally and vulnerably and artistically to, to the world you just got to put yourself through that so I, I learned that from my dad my dad worked really hard in his life my mom worked really hard and now it's my turn to work really hard see and that's the thing i think that a lot of people don't get it's not always talent talent's important but work ethic leads with the talent and somebody who is a harder worker could out play or become better than someone that's talent because talent alone doesn't do anything think about it in sports think of the story of michael jordan or lebron james the amount of time kobe bryant the amount of the time they spent in the gym after the limelight was over to become better there was tons of people with talent but hard work 
takes it. And I see Corey sees this for sure in you. And that's fantastic. And thinking about it, Dave, when she, he's not just molded women, he mold, he was working with Michael Jackson. He really is somebody, when you get his opinion, it's a serious opinion. Yeah. So, Laura, you, you explained very uh, adequately what it takes to succeed in this business, but what is your why? I mean, why are you so hungry? Why are you working so hard? Why do you want it so bad? I'm just going to tell a quick little story to explain sure, that. Sure, love stories. Um, actually, especially to explain, so 2020 has been a little bit of a tough year. A couple <laughs> weeks ago. I called Corey and I was like, I'm so frustrated. I'm not creative. I just, I'm not making the, like, I'm not making music like I used to. I don't want to sing. I don't want to do anything. Just frustrated. And he just says, just, just watch Purple Rain again. That's my favorite movie. And just watch it again. And I watched that movie and I just, what that, it, it's art. It's art in its most beautiful form. And it's, it's you it's empathy. It's to touch someone completely far away that you don't even know and say, I'm here for you. Like that's what music did to me. That's what that movie did to me. It it was able to give me a place where I felt accepted and free. And I want to be able to create that space for other people and create music that will touch people like that and just do to others what music has done to me kind of thing. Right. And if I'm not working at my best, then, then it's not worth it enough. And then that wow. sounds like when you talk about that, that process of, hey, this motivates me. Now I'm back centered again. Purple rain. That's, I like giving, that's interesting. Connected. Good core. I like giving homework assignments. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the young artists today, you know, they really, like they missed a big part of our music culture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a big part because the generation right before them was like a digital, you know, era where a lot of stuff, you know what I'm saying? You can do it a lot different. And they missed those moments when a guy like Prince did what he did, you know? Or, you know, like just, so I like to, I give her the most random homework to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, she'll, but now she could tell you who Earth, Wind and Fire is and, you know, (laughs) Minotaur and all these people, the Go-Go's, you know, like Boy George, you know, when he had Karma Chameleon and all of that stuff, like, I mean, these are these are amazing <laughs> records that'll never, ever, ever go anywhere. They won't shake, no. rattle. They'll be there always. That's and then, the, then you look behind the story and see. Don't just listen to the music. I want you to tell me all about Boy George. You know, tell me about everything about you. You know, and then when you know that, you go, "Wow!" Doesn't come that easy, man. Everyone's got. <laughs> Everyone has a story. And Laura, I think that that's so interesting to look at. I'm an 80s fan beyond belief. Uh, I could just jam out the 80s music all the time. And that's my genre for sure. And the music is just just so great. But when I talk to younger people, they're like, what are you talking about? When I interview certain people. So it's great Corey's giving you those homework assignments. Yeah. It's, it was so frustrating at first. I mean, we've been, we've been working together for about like five-ish years. At first, I feel like I would always bring him a song of like a really contemporary artist. Like I'd play him something like The Weeknd. And he would name references that are in that song that I didn't know. And it just was made very clear to me that like you need to know the people that you want to be as good. Who did they study? You can't just study them. Yeah. Exactly. And it was was pretty frustrating at first because he's always right when he pulls those references (laughs) out. And I was like, "Eh." (laughs) 
But then after I, I became like a student of the craft and everything, and I didn't even know I liked the 80s at first. We really did start with like the 50s and 60s, went through like all of those songs and, and in history and just talking about like the Beatles. I, I had a big Beatles phase of just studying. And then once we hit the 80s, I was like, okay, this feels like home. Cool. I'm sticking Dave, here. David Bowie. So tell me about Snapchat. Um, what is changes, the yeah. modern love. Like, <laughs> so tell me about the Snapchat. Explain that to me. Because, I mean, I, I'm on Snapchat, but I just am on it trying to be with it in certain ways. And, you know, and, but I, you know, check out certain things. But tell me about this, the whole thing with Snapchat and the success you've had there. Oh, I'm, I really like Snapchat. I mean, like I said earlier, it really is slowly becoming my favorite platform so far. Um, I was on the show Endless, which is a Snap original. And then, I mean, if you don't know what that is, when you swipe to the left, to the right, when you go into your Discover page, Yes. Um, it's on the top. It's the Snap Original show. Um, it's a softly scripted show. So there's parts of it that are authentic and there's parts of it that are very constructed and, and manufactured, but it was really fun. It was a, a great time. And I've been on Snapchat since I did the show a lot. And I like it a lot because it's 24 hours. So what you see is exactly what you see. It's not like Instagram where you can really curate your feed. It's very, very authentic in real time. And it's good because when I post music there, especially my own, I get a very real-time response from the people that follow my stuff. It's very immediate. Um, I get like the response right away. I put up um, a, a, a remix that I made, um, well, that Corey made and that I did a little video for while we were quarantining in the beginning of the entire lockdown. And it was instantaneous. I could already, like the responses were already there. I was able to see what people were liking and just how they were responding to it. It's just, it's, it's different than Instagram. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's, it's different. And then what about, TikTok, are you ever gonna jump on that platform? Even though it's getting so I popular? tried for a bit, but it's just so many social media like platforms for me yeah. to keep up with. I definitely want to get back into TikTok because I let it go for a second, but uh, some very good looking will do very well on TikTok. <laughs> Trust me on that. If, and it's addicting. And I just uh, I think Microsoft's smart to buy it, but I think also they need to monitor it better. If it's bought by, and I'm not talking the Chinese thing, I'm talking more kids, the age group that's on TikTok, it, it's, that's the only issue. So, but I believe in, as, as in a social media coach, I'd say to you, stay where you're the best, be on those other platforms, because it's very difficult unless you have, you know, this gigantic team to really be actively a superstar in every platform. If you looked at every artist, they have one place they go to all the time. And if you found that Snapchat, keep being Snapchat. All right, Dave, go ahead with the caregiver Dave uh, question to ask. Hey guys, I'm just a normal guy, Dave. I own a gas station for 45 years. One day, 24 years ago, my wife complains about this headache she had, turned into a stroke, lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. And in that moment, I became her caregiver. And it was pretty tough the next couple of years. We almost broke up. But then we hung in there, you know, we reinvented ourselves and our love was rekindled. And now I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver. I travel all over the country speaking on TV and stage. And, and um, uh, I've written a, a best-selling book. I'm writing my fourth book now. And I, I just help caregivers stay alive because it was hard. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes and 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do. So my question to you, you know, I, I came up with a website, caregiverdave.com, which is a support group for caregivers. A lot of people don't even think about caregiving. You know, it's like, well, what that doesn't, doesn't involve me. Well, I say, yes, it does. 
you're either going to become a caregiver, you're going to need a caregiver. It just happens, boom, like that, without any, uh, you know, notice. And uh, for both you guys, uh, you have any experience with caregiving? Parents, grandparents, uncles, nephews, nieces, whatever? Actually, yeah. I mean, recently, um, I went back home for a little bit this year because one of my family members was fell down and, and had an accident oh. and um, took a while to recover. And so I, I just went back to help out and I have a baby sister and I have a baby brother. And I do agree. People do underestimate what it's like to care for other people because yeah. it's, it takes, you wake up and their eating habits are more important than yours. Their sleeping pattern is more important than yours. So that's kind of my experience. It is so beautiful that you're doing that though. That is a, oh. an insane story. Um, I'm so sorry to what, what happened, but it's so beautiful what you're doing. That's pretty awesome. Congratulations. It really is. And when you're in LA, you'll have to see Dave. I don't know if you're in LA or not. That's where Dave lives is in LA. I live in Pittsburgh. Now, Corey, your caregiving story. Do you have a caregiving story in your life? My life is a caregiving story. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not even, you know. Um, not yet. I, well, you know, no, really. I mean, honestly, like from... I have a very long story, but you know, in the very beginning of this all, I'll just start my story with saying that, you know, at one point my family unfortunately all went like this, right? It was just me and my mom, right? And I, my mission was, I'm gonna take care of my mother no matter what. I mean, literally we're walking down the street, pouring down rain. We both had plastic bags with all we had to, you know, that we own, all of, everything we owned, it was in those plastic bags. And, you know, long story short, my promise was, mom, I said, look, I took her to my aunt's house. You stay here and I'm going to go get myself together. And together we pulled from there all the way to everything that you see here. My mother in the 60s had hit records, you know. Wow. My mother was in a group, she's the lead singer of a group called The Exciters. Her big record was Tell Him, Do I Diddy, Little Bit of Soap, all these things. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, without my mother and my father who was in the group, you know, like I wouldn't even have my foundation, you know, my sure. platform, right? But, you know, the caregiving started there because I became, you know, in 91, I lost my dad and he was the guy who everyone went to, like the godfather of the family. <laughs> and, you know, for some reason, I became that person, you know, and that means that every, the nieces and the nephews and all my sisters and everybody like that. I'm the guy, I gotta take care of everything. But in the middle of it all, every single day, at even right now, like I got my mother bubble wrap 20 minutes from here <laughs> in her house, cause I don't want her to go near anyone with COVID. But I have to take care of my mother. You know, I've been taking care of my mother, uh, no matter what, I, I hope that um, someone can look from the outside and say that I do a great job of caring for my mother, you know? But you know, and it just goes beyond that. I'm the type of person, if I, it doesn't have to be my family. My, my wife always tells me all the time, like, uh-oh, he's putting his cape on again. Because <laughs> I can't help myself, you know? And then I'd struggle with trying to stop myself. I said, you know what, I can't, I can't do this every time. Yeah. You know, and then she finally told me, my wife said, you know what, if that's who you are, if that's who God made you, then just be who God made you and don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, everything will be fine. You really so, are everybody's caregiver. Oh, no, I really, I really. He's underplaying it. He really, really is. He cares of all of us at Corey Rooney Media, like, like we're family, all of us. This, this pandemic is driving me crazy because I'm trying to make sure everybody <laughs> stays safe. It's like making me nuts. You know, it is. Story. That's a great story. Okay, well, Laura, best place we can connect with you. 
um, I know not everyone's on Snapchat, but best place we can connect with you, Laura, where can we go? You can connect with me anywhere at the Laura Pieri. That's P-I-E-R-I. I'm on all socials. It's the same thing across all socials and on all music platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. Reach out to me. I respond. I'm not MIA. I'm on my socials. If you want to reach out to me, anyone, please do. I'll, I'm on there. I'll see it. I'll respond. She doesn't call time. me back, but she can respond on that. Well, you have a website, right? You have a website for your... I do. I do. That's CoreyRooneyMedia.com. Uh, but I'm most active on my Instagram, which is just Corey Rooney, uh, Corey Rooney at Gmail. I mean, uh, on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, we'll definitely check you guys out. Appreciate it. Laura, I, I again, I continued success. I'll have to go check. I'll have to follow you on Snapchat, check you out there. And I appreciate you guys uh, stopping by. And what a great Neil Haley show with Caregiver Day. Take care, guys. Great interview. Thank All you. Right. All right. You're uh, watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show here, and I'm excited about an eggshell effect segment. I keep having all these awesome things, so I'm excited to welcome to the program the author of the eggshell effect, Joel Holt. Joel, how are you? I am great, Neil. Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. Oh, good to see you finally face-to-face. -face. We're always talking on the phone or talking about different things, and so I am just blown away by your story. You really, at times, do not tell about how much suffering you were going through. So I wanted to, today to talk a little bit about that and the book launch and how you were able to overcome autoimmune disorder and all that. So tell us how, the, and it all led from other times in your life that the stress built up to where you, be, where you ended up where you couldn't hardly walk. Yeah, sure. So, so Obviously, you know, we all heard stress will kill you, correct? This is, we did not invent that. This stress really can actually impact our life. I mean, yes. luckily it did not kill me, but it actually almost paralyzed me. And, and we all live with stress. We all have stress in our life. And for me, it just happened to start stress in a very, very early age that eventually uh, in my uh, mid-30s, I actually was... Uh, was diagnosed with autoimmune disease that my doctor told me that Joel within 10 years you're going to have to live in a wheelchair so get your life in order to live in a wheelchair and, and this was well over 12 years ago so obviously I, today I, I feel great I feel better today than when I felt when I was in my 30s uh, but, but it, it was a continuing being in stress for so long and I did not understand it because this, I used to be in stress all the time. And I thought that this is how life is. Right. And that whole thing about stress, and I could tell, you know, if I'm wearing an entrepreneur hat versus if I'm working for somebody, the differences. And when I feel it's passion and creativity versus it's really stress or it's stress at home and all these different things to relate you really have to understand about those things. And I've listened to suffering and all those things. And we'll talk about the book, but how did you overcome when you, that doctor gave you that? If you don't change your life now, you're not going to be able to walk. What did you do to make those changes? And then we're going to talk about the book launch and how we're going to have a segment kind of going through specific topics of your expertise level on the Neil Haley show. Now, actually, my doctor never told me to change my life. My doctor told me, look, there is nothing that we can do. This is the highway that you're driving on. And there is all what I can do as a doctor is say, I only can try to slow down the train 
to make sure that we win as much time as we can. He never told me, Joel, you have to do anything different. Or what you say, hey, keep taking these medications. These medications will slow down the progressive of the disease. It's not, it, it never told me, Joel, do something different. So, so, you know, people that overweight, people that smoke, and I'm not judging nobody, but, but some people have something to do about their life uh, that, hey, if you lose weight, if you stop smoking, you stop drinking, you might be able to recoup your, your life. In my case, it was, I walked into the doctor offices barely walking. I got out as a victim with a disease in my body that there is really, it's not my fault. I have nothing what to do with this. I'm the victim. Now, I'm not, again, I'm, I'm not, I'm just sharing my story, but this is how I walked out of the doctor office. About for about a full year, I actually believed him. I, I believed that this is the future that they live in. And quite honestly, for often in this year or a little over a year that he actually took care of me, I felt better. I was able to not work much better, but I was in less pain. I was actually the pain was manageable. So for, from living in pain level of eight to, to ten on a regular basis, it's reduced to somewhere between four and six. So it was a great improvement. But I was battling in my head, do I really want to live like this for the rest of my life or do I really want to take control of my life? And eventually there were ripple of events that happened that I actually understood that I have something what to do with actually uh, creating this autoimmune disease. Now what the beautiful part about actually understanding that I was creating the autoimmune disease, in my mind, if I create it on the flip side, it's me that I can heal it and this is really where the doors start to open and then I start going to different uh, different routes of basically I got a lot of help from professional people that helped me to heal myself and at that point I changed my diet I changed what I eat I changed what I drink I changed uh, eventually it's, it's, it took it took a long time but eventually I changed all my life I changed today I'm, I'm a planet-based uh, diet I, I, I drink I only drink water and, and, and some teas and uh, I, I'm very, very careful whatever I put in my body physically. Now, it took a few more years after that for me to be able to be responsible for what I put into my mind. That's, our body. that's where this is the beginning of the story is recovering from the physical issues. But then once you started doing all these healthy things for your body, you started to identify the mind. So who dis how did you discover that? Because the process first was the body which is important. That's our time. We, as, as entrepreneurs, both of us are entrepreneurs. We have to be working out on a regular basis. We have to be staying healthy in so many ways to be at our highest level, or we're going to finally shut down in certain ways. And I think the coronavirus has shown me that as being stuck in an office all the time and not moving. I am suffering through some things and that's just being full disclosure of a challenge, which everyone us, all of us are dealing with. But when you fix the physical, who gave you ideas or did you come up with your own that that's not enough? I have to change my mental aspect as well. So, so as most people, myself included, things have to break down for us to fix them. We usually, when things are good, we don't, we, you know, when we did not deal with the, with the virus, with the coronavirus, we did not think about how life can look like if we have a virus. We're only dealing about the virus when we have the virus. Nobody had a plan to run the business in one day if we will have a shutdown. But when things broke down and we had a shutdown, 
a lot of entrepreneurs actually were able to find a solution and actually drive their businesses throughout, a, throughout the virus. The so same thing with our own life and our own story. I had to figure out a way to fix my life when my life kept breaking down. So I was able to take care of my body and, and, and I, got, I felt better and I, I was in a much better shape. Uh, but still, I did not, I still was living in a space of, I was a victim for, God, for getting the disease in the first place and I'm a hero for fixing the disease. Yeah. I still did not assume the responsibility why I got sick in the first place. It took me many more years. And, for, and basically when things broke down for me, is, is my experience was uh, my mom passed away. Uh, I, I was in Israel with her for the last week of her life. I was there for the week after. And when I came back home to Pittsburgh, uh, my second marriage fell apart. So as, as soon as they got home, within 12 hours after our landing in Pittsburgh, uh, my, my second wife say, hey, I'm leaving. So within a week time, I lost my wife and I lost my mom. And this is where it was the emotional part of me falling apart. And then I asked myself the most important question that I ever asked myself. And I think that this is a good question for people to ask on a regular basis, is how did I get here? And not from the point of I'm, I'm a victim, look at me how I got here, but really from ownership and really from what, if, if I understand how I got here, I can actually control and I can actually be in awareness where I'm going from here. But if I don't understand how I got here in the first place, where do I go from here? Where did you discover that, Joel? Your own self or other people? Do you have uh, people that you finally looked in research as your study? As an entrepreneur, we all read these self-help group books and stuff to find and identify that, or did you just did you come up with it on your own? So obviously, for, for those that go to read the book will understand that I actually have dyslexia. I barely can read. I, I barely can write. So reading books is something that the book had to be extremely, extremely interesting for me to, to read it. And it will take me probably six months for what will take somebody, you know, three days to read. Right. So, so, so I'm not a big, big reader. I, I do listen to a lot. But whatever I listen usually st stick in my head. But what I realized that if I want to understand how I got here, I had to go back in time. And I went back in time to my last day of being in first grade. Mm -hmm. And this was the day that my life was kidnapped by fear. And, and, and as, the, as the last day of school, um, all the kids were sitting in the class and we all got the report card and we got the, the diploma for completing first grade. And in my, in my diploma card where it say my name and the name of the school and where it say welcome to go to uh, second grade, there was a black marker. And the teacher said, no, 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 you're not going to second grade. You have to go to do first grade again. And in my mind, smart kids going to second grade and stupid kids have to go to first grade again. Wow. And from that moment on, I felt abandoned. I felt stupid. I immediately, within a second, had to figure out a way how to survive life. And from that moment until the moment when my mom passed away and my second wife left, at that moment, this is when I was actually, when everything broke down. All the story that I built about myself being stupid, all the story about 
surviving life, manipulating life, controlling life, all this fell apart. And this is really once we, I completely broke, this is really where I was able to rebuild my life from that point. And discover, identify, and create what you created, the eggshell effect movement, but also the book that's coming out. And people could pre-order the book right now. It's very interesting, Joel. I listened to a long interview you did that we're doing a series that's available on, on your at Joel Hulk's Eggshell Effect Facebook group. You can join that. Or again, Eggshell Effect on Facebook. You can check out or other social media sites, but you can check out specifically that entire interview in chunks. First, where you grew up, all the way to the information. But pre-order the book, trust me, because when you identify what you're going through, heart, time, even with the coronavirus, and how you're dealing with challenges that are happening in your family, you might have some sort of thing. Once you listen to what Joel has gone through, he can really help you through that turmoil to be happy, as he told me when we got on this interview, and excited and happy to conquer the next day and to live a journey, not a destination. So I remember from that, but people can go to Joel Holt dot com slash books book and they can go ahead and purchase the book pre-order the book right now or just go ahead and go to joelholk.com but i appreciate you coming by joel and uh like i said i have been mentioning some of the stuff i listened from the podcast to uh, on other interviews and i really see the movement that's happening the eggshell effect movement and I look forward to being part of the journey with you. So I appreciate you coming by and we having, having these weekly segments. So take care. Sure. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. You're watching the Neil Haley Show and listening to the Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Freedom From Addiction segment. And, you know, uh, again, the tagline that I have to, it's very hard for me to remember. And it's such a great tagline, but I'm soon going to put it into my brain and ingrain it in my brain. Truth below the surface, just below the surface, is an unbelievable tagline. Because this man is really putting himself out there. He is really trying to fight the fight that's needed today. And I'm telling you, certain other topics, I'm in the middle. But for this topic here... When you have professionals, the science involved in this, and there is a fight because we have made this coronavirus a political fight to get a president out of office that ultimately, uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's a becoming a conspiracy to get him off either if you're a Republican or Democrat, just because of the control he's gaining in this country with his followers. I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson. Wynn, how are you? And congratulations on the the real push towards this new format of your program. I know you're going to interview other people on another program. I'm going to tell you to start two podcasts as a branding and social media and marketing expert because this show is kicking butt and freedom from addiction might have to have a name change at one point in time when okay well we can think about that in the future let's get to telling the people what's important today all right so what's important today is you have other news regarding this hydroxychloroquine and so tell us so what i'm going to tell you about is 
in the uh, United States District Court for the Western District of Michigan, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons has sued the Food, uh, Food and Drug Administration, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, the Department of Health and Human Services, and its secretary, Alex Azar, to get relief on this hydroxychloroquine issue. So I'm going to break this down into three segments so that you don't have to stay online uh, a real, real long time, and we'll do it every couple of days until you understand what the lawsuit is about, and uh, hopefully we will get some relief from the courts. All right, so, so, so this is segment one today. All right, let's kind of go into it. Okay. Okay, here's the complaint. The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, also referred to as AAPS or plaintiff, seeks declaratory and injunctive relief against the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, and two of its constituent agencies, the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, BARDA, B-A-R-D-A, and their respective lead officers, now uh, collectively as the defendant. The um, nature of the action is that AAPS brings this action on behalf of its members and their patients to end the irrational interference by the FDA with timely access to hydrochloroquine, which I will call HCQ from this point on, which has been donated in large quantities to the federal government for prompt distribution. Specifically, AAPS seeks injunction against the FDA's emergency use authorization dated March 28th and we're going to call that EUA, which prohibits use of the donated HCQ except for already hospitalized patients and uh, when clinical trials are unavailable. The next point, though a biased, unlawful process described in greater detail below FDA officials from prior administrations acted contrary to the wishes of President Donald Trump by arbitrarily limiting the use of HCQ from the strategic national stockpile to prescribe to adolescents and adult patients hospitalized with COVID-19 as appropriate when a clinical trial is not available or feasible. Specifically, A Barack Obama-appointed official who is outspokenly critical of President Trump, that being Rick Bright, personally opposed making uh, HCQ widely available to the public from the federal stockpile and distorted the agency process to arbitrarily and unjustifiably limit access by patients to the HCQ received as donations by the federal government for the purpose of making it available promptly to the public. 
HCQ has been approved as safe by the FDA for 65 years and is safer than numerous medications that are available over the counter without requiring a prescription, including antidepressants such as St. John's wort, sleeping pills like Benadryl, bronchodilators like ephedrine, and many pain medications including ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and even aspirin. HCQ is not addictive in any way. Now, President Donald Trump himself has repeatedly praised HCQ, and he announced on May 18th that on his own initiative and with his physician's advice and prescription, took a full regimen of HCQ himself as prophylaxis against COVID-19, as other world leaders have reportedly been doing. The arbitrary, irrational, and unjustifiable interference by the defendants with the use of HCQ as a prophylactic interference with the political process by which the United States selects its president, national political conventions. For nearly two centuries, thousands of delegates attend a national political convention together to nominate their candidate for president and to present their slate to the American public. Continued irrational interference by the defendants with a safe prophylactics for COVID-19 has the effect of infringing on the right of the people to hold national political conventions, which have been an essential part of our presidential elections since at least 1832. Efforts to persuade the FDA to remove its irrational limitations of hospitalization and non-availability of a clinical trial have been unsuccessful and petitioning the FDA amid the conflict of interest among its officials would be futile on this issue. These arbitrary, irrational, and unjustifiable limitations by the FDA with its EUA prevents the use of HCQ as a prophylactic uh, um, in nursing homes, and when in the best interest of non-hospitalized patients. HCQ, like most medications, loses its efficacy over time, particularly at warmer temperatures, which are occurring now as the summer approaches. Much of the, much of the HCQ doses in the national stockpile will be discarded for their loss of efficiency if the FDA restrictions on its use are not promptly lifted. There will be irreparable immediate harm to the AAPS members and their patients if the arbitrary, irrational, and unjustifiable restrictions by the FDA on the use of HCQ from the national stockpile are not enjoined and declared invalid immediately. Now I'm going to go on to uh, constitutional and statutory background. In point 25, in, enact, in enacting the FFDCA, Congress was clear that 
the FFDCA does not define the practice of medicine and is not intended as a medical practice act and would not interfere with the practice of the healing arts. The FDA has expressly recognized the freedom that healthcare professionals possess to use and prescribe drugs off-label. Once a drug product has been approved for marketing, a physician may prescribe it for uses or in treatment regimens of patient populations that are not included in the approved labeling. Healthcare professionals may lawfully prescribe or use an FDA-approved drug both for any uses suggested in the labeling itself and in ways that are not prescribed, recommended, or suggested by the FDA-approved labeling. So off-label use of this prescription drug accounts for uh, roughly 20% of all prescriptions, and in some medical specialties, it accounts for a majority of prescriptions. Many off-label uses have become standard of medical care. For generic medications such as HCQ, on which any patient rights have long expired, I'm sorry, patent rights have long since expired, there is no financial incentive for any entity to fund expensive studies to seek approval by the FDA for off-label uses, and such approval is not customarily sought or granted. The Secretary of HHS can authorize the emergency use of either or both unapproved medical products and or unapproved uses of approved medical products upon recognizing or declaring an emergency. In such an emergency, the statutory criteria for granting an emergency use application are that the Secretary of HHS concludes that an agent referred to in a declaration under subsection B can cause a serious or life-threatening disease or condition, and two, that based on the totality of scientific evidence available to the Secretary, including data from adequate and well-controlled clinical trials, if available, it's reasonable to believe that the product may be effective in diagnosing, treating, or preventing such a disease or condition. A serious or life-threatening disease or condition caused by a product authorized under this section approved or declared for diagnosing, treating, or preventing such a disease or condition caused by such agent and the known and uh, potential benefit of the product which used to deny to excuse me, to diagnose, prevent, or treat such disease or condition outweighs the known potential risk of the product, taking into consideration the material threat posed by the agent identified in the declaration, and that there is no adequate, approved, or available alternative to the product for diagnosing, preventing, or treating the disease or condition. In the case of determining uh, the des uh, described uh, incident in subsection, and then it gives that. The request for emergency use 
is made by the Secretary of Defense and that such other criteria by the Secretary may be uh, by regulation prescribed. Or, okay, so um, it goes on to say that the Affordable Act um, prohibits, does not allow discrimination in health programs and activities by not only recipients of federal uh, funds, but also federal agencies. And individuals shall not, on the ground prohibited under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, the Age Discrimination Act of 1975, or the Section of 504 of the Rehabilitation Acts of 1973, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any health program or activity, any part of which is receiving federal financial assistance, including credit subsidies or contracts of insurance, or under any program or activity that is administered by an executive agency um, entitled established under this title. So, the defendants, the HHS, the FDA, and BARDA, are the executive agencies within the meaning of this section of the Affordable Care Act, and the strategic national stockpile is a health program or activity within the meaning of the, the section. So, as relative here, the judicial review provisions of the APA prescribe agency action that is arbitrary, capricious, or an abuse of discre uh, discretion, or otherwise not in accordance with the law. The APA further bars agency action that is in excess of statutory jurisdiction, authority, or limitation, and directs courts to uphold and set aside agency action findings and conclusions found to be contrary to the con constitutional right, power of privilege or immunity. So that's where we're going to stop and it gets better, much better. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll look forward to our next segment uh, on the freedom from addiction or uh, as I will quote it again, trust just below the surface. And, uh, you know, everyone can check you out again on Lipson. And again, we're simulcasting the podcast, Freedom From Addiction podcast that's available on Lipson and all different places and also the Neil Haley Show. And you can go to RevWynHendersonMD.com for more information. And I appreciate you coming by again. Uh, Neil, let me say the exact address that they or their family or anybody that they know can go to to hear this directly, and that's www.freedomfromaddiction.libsyn, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N.com. Have no spaces and no capitalization. It will take you right to this, this segment, and... Uh, you need to be an activist here because a thousand patients a day, a thousand Americans are dying every day and they don't need to. If the court rules against uh, the defendants, it will be perfectly uh, 
just legal and okay for doctors all over the country to start prescribing these medications, which will keep people out of the hospital, off respirators, and away from death. All right. Well, appreciate you coming by. Thanks, Daryl. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. 